Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode, a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest today is John McKellen, the creative director of No Code Studios, uh, and the first ever three-time guest on the show. Um, John's featured in two of the previous autosave episodes. He was in the the Global Game Jam episode, which was January 2016, I think. Uh, and also the Games Are For Everyone episode, which came out uh, kind of August, September last year. Uh, and in both cases, he was, he was part of the events that I was covering. So um, No Code had a team in the Global Game Jam. Uh, and they were they were showcasing one of their games, Stories Untold. Uh, actually, it was the House Abandoned specifically at Games Are for Everyone, and we chatted to both of them then. Um, and if if you want, you know, if you want to get the full the full story, uh, go back to the Global Game Jam episode, and uh, you 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 hear the kind of origin of the team and where they got their name from and stuff. This is much more kind of specifically about John, and uh, it was a fascinating chat. I, I didn't realize until we had spoken that he he worked on. APB, uh, the the now infamous uh, real-time worlds game, uh, and he has a, a lot of fascinating things to say about that. He also worked on Alien Isolation, which is you know a, a modern masterpiece in video gaming. A really brilliant chat, and also excitingly um, live. You know, it's it's rare that I get to do these shows like in the flesh, so to speak. But since John runs a studio here in Glasgow, uh, I was able to just wander down and, and do it live. So I think it gives it a nice kind of unique. Uh, a unique aspect, I guess. It includes people emptying bottle bins in the bars outside as well, so apologies for that. <laughs> um, it was really good, though. I really I really enjoyed it. You know, I think in an ideal world, I would, you know, meet everybody in person and do these shows uh, live, but in order to get the kind of breadth of people I speak to, uh, Skype is often the, the best tool, you know, unless people go mad and pledge a bunch of money to the Patreon, which, you know, by all accounts, please do. It's patreon.com forward slash checkpoints. I would I would like nothing more than to travel around uh, chatting to people about video games. Who wouldn't? Um, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email. It's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or it's at checkpointshow on Twitter or it's checkpointspodcast on Facebook. It's very important to have consistent branding. Um, getting close to 100 episodes now. It's very exciting. Uh, also, it's becoming a bit more of a, a chore. Not a chore. That's the wrong way to put it. Don't talk about it being a hardship. This is your choice, Declan. Um, <laughs> I, I just mean, like, when I started this, I had this list of people that I wanted to speak to on the show. Um, and I've kind of hit a, a lot of them. So I, I put a call out a few weeks ago for people to suggest people. Uh, please do. Um, if there's anyone you'd like to hear, let me know. Um, and it just, it's not harder. It's just, you know, because this pool is kind of diminishing, I'm trying to, you know, it, it, it's... I don't have as many people to hand as as I once did, but it's very exciting. I've got some uh, some cool shows lined up for you. I hope you continue to enjoy it. Thanks as always for listening. Uh, if you do enjoy the show, please do share it around, rate and review it on iTunes. It's uh, very much appreciated. I'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest. But until then, let's get on.
like a real conversation <laughs> between us yeah um it's very exciting this is in what, have you got like a nickname for your office or is it just the no code office it's no code terrors no code terrors yeah. okay. it's always been no code terrors even when we're on the ground floor <laughs> Um, so we'll do a formal introduction for the sake of the show. So John, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Uh, okay. If you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm John McKellen and I'm the creative director of No Code, game designer slash writer, artist, etc. And what did you do before the studio? Because is, is this relatively new, the No Code? Uh, we've been around for about two years now. Yeah. Um, two years in August, I think it'll be. Um, yeah, before that, I spent maybe eight, nine years in kind of AAA. I worked on Alien Isolation for a good five years. I worked on APB. I was at Rockstar for Are a little you, while. You were one of the casualties of APB. I was one of the casualties <laughs> on APB, yeah. Um, yeah, that was my first my first venture into games. Um, and prior to that, I was a graphic designer. So are you um, from Glasgow, like, originally? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was born down south, but I lived, lived in Glasgow since I was about three, four years old. Um, yeah, I grew up here, and then it was only until I, I went to work in APB that I left Glasgow, went to Dundee, and then down south. And came da- back. Yeah, down, down in Sussex for about five years, and then up in uh, Edinburgh for a year at Rockstar, and then found my way back. So I come back here, we were just talking about this before we started, that like there doesn't seem to be, considering how much kind of video game stuff is made in Scotland, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of it in Glasgow. Was there a particular reason you came back here? Um, I think, well, to be honest, it was just personal reasons. It was like to get closer to family and yeah. stuff like that again. Um, it felt like if I was going to start a business, then you've got the luxury of starting it where you want. And I think as frustrating as it's been sometimes to not be near London when we've having to fly down quite a lot and yeah. stuff like that, um, it's not so frustrating that you would have to live there and pay the cost of living there. Um, and I think we're, we don't have to do that. So, yeah, it felt like um, it'd be good to set up here. Um, and potentially, you know, or hopefully start something that grows and... Yeah, because it, it seems yeah. like a perfect place for it. I mean, you know, like, um, like I, I sort of joke about it on the show about the, one of the reasons why Scotland is so good at games is because the, the weather is garbage. And like <laughs> Glasgow specifically, like, I mean, I, honestly, the last week I've just spent everyone moaning about the heat and I'm just looking at my my uh, weather app and it's like 10 degrees colder in Glasgow and yeah. cloudy and oh, it's, it's miserable. It is a bit, yeah. It's been not bad. I mean, well, I say not bad. Comparatively. Comparatively. Yeah. But like, has the city been, I mean, I don't know why I'm getting into this business side of it, but has the city been quite sort of supportive of it and kind of like helping um, to grow it and stuff? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, there's a couple of like initiatives and stuff that we kind of uh, managed to take advantage of when we started out. Um that are kind of local, like either council run or, you know, Scottish Enterprise stuff where they have regional um, funds and stuff yeah. to tap into. So we managed to tap into a little bit of that, which was good. Um, I think there is more in other places. Um, I think Dundee has more support in general. Um, Hopefully you could be an example then and get more get well, more studios up. That's what we're kind of hoping. Like we've managed to attract a fair bit of funding for the next project and we're hoping that you know uh that counts for something when we when we talk to people yeah. like scotch enterprise and stuff and it's like you know we've we've got something that's so far touchwood sustainable um and growing and we can maybe you know with some help we can possibly push that even further and yeah absolutely you know you know and i know the guys from like cali uni really well and stuff and trying to like work out if there's something we can do there in the future where we can 
provide an, an outlet for for graduates to come and help us out and get some experience and and so on. Yeah, but it's it's like the infrastructure just isn't there at the moment. So, well, you can you, you know, can be we, the trailblazers can, for yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> potentially. Yeah. Um, like so, you 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 can't talk about what you're doing just yet, but you are kind of ramping up for something, right? So I'm I'm assuming that um, stories untold is done relatively well. I mean, I know it did like critically, like it was it was a big hit. Yeah, critically, it was really good. I'm really really pleased and surprised with the reaction. Um, yeah, and we we'd actually we'd planned to move on to a new project, so. We, we've been kind of pitching this uh, next project which we, we can't really talk about yet but um since like we started a prototype in january last year um and kind of pitched it to a few people yeah at the, at, you know in february or oh, it was at gdc last year actually uh, we introduced it to a few people and it took us a long time to to get it off the ground um people were interested right away but it just is a a bit of a complicated game and a you know um and a complicated arrangement and it took a long time, so we, we thought we were going to be starting the game in like August, September-ish. Okay. Um, starting that project, and then it just kind of went on a little bit where things like the legal side of things, the business side of things just took a lot longer than expected. And, you know, we were just learning this for the first time. Like, So we'd been introduced to Devolver Digital, um, who were just great to work with, and we were kind of chatting to them about our next project uh, as well. And in the meantime, we said, well... We done the the house abandoned prototype yeah, last year, yeah, yeah. so we done that as part of a game jam, as Ludum Dare, and uh, we had like we knew we had a couple of months to kill before these contracts would be kind of sorted and we'd get to actually move on to the next project. And even even still, that kind of delayed even further. But we managed to squeeze in the stories untold. Um, oh, so it wasn't originally this kind of. It was just you had. We had a window, and you had a window to do work, so you just added more onto it. Yeah, we just kind of thought, well, that was cool. People liked it. Um, You know, we could potentially do an anthology, and it's been—I've had an idea for a long time of doing short stories as games, as a, you know, as an anthology or a compendium or whatever. Where um, I think like little one-hour experiences, one-hour narrative experiences are really interesting, but hard to sell. Yeah, you know, naturally just due to the running time and stuff. But if you pull them all together into one package, then it's a new thing. And I kind of felt like, well, this is a good opportunity to try that out. We've got a window and we kind of uh, naively said, well, the house abandoned took us like three days. <laughs> so how hard can it be, right? We'll do another three of them. Or I think there was originally going to be another four. Um, it took like a month, you know, oh, and then yeah, six months later, we were pulling our hair out, trying to ship <laughs> one time. And uh, it was crazy. We, yeah, we totally over, overscoped for the time we had but we managed to pull it off eventually but it was just like we had an idea and a window of opportunity where we thought well let's do it now while people yeah. are interested in the house abandoned while we're, we know we're waiting on other things coming through so we just kind of went for it and then I think it was like the day Stories Untold shipped was like when we actually started getting oh, that's good. That's things scared. Timing, yeah, it kind of worked so out really well yeah. Um, yeah it was a, a stressful run up a stressful production but we managed to kind of get the timing just right amazing uh, yeah, so we're so we're now ramping up. Um, we've grown from yeah. There was like three of us, three full time staff on stories untold, and there's now seven of us um, since then, and a few more to come later this year. So it's been a big change. It's exciting. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's meander back then, John. So if you can remember, what was your very first experience of a video game? Um, 
I think it maybe might have been that I can remember would be like the Atari two thousand six hundred. Okay. Um, my dad was was big into games, um, so he kind of yeah he he managed to get most of things that were coming out when they came out. Um, so I think we had something <coughs> before that the the one the one with the paddles I can't remember what it was called. The sort of Benetton yeah, some tennis for four or whatever. Yes, yeah. yeah. One of the, I think we had that back. I think I was, I think which is a bit too young to remember. But I remember playing um, Pitfall in the two thousand six hundred. Okay, um, stuff like that, which I guess was be my earliest memory. But like, it, it's interesting that your dad was into it. So this would have been like just a, a family thing almost. Like, yeah, you know, you, yeah. here's a console for everyone to play together and stuff. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we kind of like weirdly looking back, we kind of got into the creation side. Like my dad used to buy like I think it was like Sinclair User or something okay. when we had our Spectrum, and they would just like the back like ten pages would just be lines of code, yeah, and you would just type out a little game, and so we used to do that together and stuff like that. And so there was definitely a kind of exposure to seeing what's under the hood. And what did, what did he do stage. then? Because that that seemed that's quite rare. I mean, often it's you know it's a generational thing where it's like oh, I don't know what video games or computers are and then yeah, it's, yeah it's quite rare for a parent to be the one kind of encouraging it and stuff yeah so well, like he, was he into that did he work in that or something yeah well he was a he was a robotics engineer um for a like for a manufacturing firm so he used to program the robots that would build bits of airplanes oh, okay so he was like already that. kind of yeah so it, he was into that kind of thing so he wasn't like um it wasn't like he was designing robots or anything like that. He was operating them, but he was programming them to do certain functions yeah. and stuff like that. And he kind of, yeah, because he, he ended up getting like headhunted and we moved down south. That's where I was born down south kind of because of it. Um, so he was very much into computers and still is. Like he still plays, you know, he just bought himself a PS4 and he's playing The Witcher and stuff like that. Amazing. He's in the 60s and um, yeah, he's still very much into it. Played WoW for 10 years straight. <laughs> despite me going, Dad, you've, you've played it all. You don't need to do it again. He's like, no, it's cool. I'll just get, I'll just get another subscription and start again. <laughs> Did you? Was that like a family thing? Did you all play WoW together? Uh, no, uh, maybe at one point. I think we maybe did at one point. But uh, is that yeah, just uncool to play WoW with your dad? Though? Sorry, is that uncool to play WoW? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not the coolest thing in the first instance. <laughs> yeah, but, you know. I was more of a Star Wars Galaxies man. Oh, really? Yeah, weird. It. When it before it all changed and and cheapened itself. Um, but but just like <laughs> so, so, so with the the twenty six it wasn't like um, I suppose you wouldn't have to like petition to get new stuff then because if your dad was into it, it's just there will be more things coming into the house because he's interested in it. Exactly, basically. yeah. I mean, there was a bit like I think we still like when I hit I don't know when maybe when it was eight or nine and I started like asking for things we didn't have like I think when the Game Gear came out, and okay. I really wanted that, and I mean I basically wanted everything that came out as it came out, so. And I, I think we got, we had most stuff, but usually it was like trade-in something yeah. for something else. Like we weren't like a, a super well-off family having one of each console. It was like, well, we're done with the Mega Drive. Let's yeah, yeah, yeah. sell it and buy a SNES and so on and so forth. Um, but was it was it like, I'm just thinking because he's, you know, he's, he's a programmer and he's interested in that side of it. Like, were consoles kind of the bad thing? Uh, no, not really. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. He he preferred actually. Now that I think about it. He did prefer like the Atari ST and the Amiga. Yeah. Um, I think he maybe spent more time in it. And there was a, a broader range of games for those. You know, you got like all the Lucas uh, Lucas Arts games and stuff like that. Definitely like geared more towards adults and stuff. Yes. Like yeah. Yeah. So I remember, like, I think we had maybe we had an Atari ST and then an Amiga, and I think maybe we had them for like the longest time. And I didn't really have a. I had a SNES, but I think after yeah, I think after the Super Nintendo, I had. 
it was a long time. I think it was maybe the PS2 before or PS1 before I picked up another console. It's weird though, like thinking of like the, I was saying about like this generational divide and stuff. Like, is it was there ever a point where you know because your your dad is like, oh, you should play this and you should learn to program that that you were like, oh no, like that that because your your parents were into it. It's like, oh no, that's not cool. I'm not into that. No, nah, no, I don't know. I mean, I think it was like we we had a lot of good times doing that yeah. stuff and. Um, yeah, like when when we when we first got our, our first PC, which was my dear because I played Doom at my friend's house, and I was like, we have to have a PC now, Dad. Yeah, and uh, managed to convince them to get one eventually, and uh, and then start modding it and all this kind of stuff. And um, I think by that point he was kind of less less like full on into it. Like he'd play games, but less kind of into the yeah making up stuff as he was getting a bit older. But um, yeah, no, I never really felt it as like a turn off. It was just like a good thing we kind of did as a family. Like my brother. Um, was into it as well, and he works with us now. Um, so we've got a kind of family it's business family going business, on, yeah. yeah totally. Um, and so we were just kind of all into it, which is kind of nice. And yeah. so, did you make stuff when you were a kid? Like, aside from just like copying code from magazines, like, did you start to kind of get a, an understanding of it a bit, I guess, and start making your own games? Yeah, well, I think it was just um, I never, I was never a programmer, but I would mod Doom okay. a lot and Quake. Hey, so um, what would you do? Making more than like deathmatch levels and stuff like that. Um, yeah, my friend had a PC as well, so we used to like um, get together and play doing two-player deathmatch. But a lot of the maps were just too big, so I'd build like smaller maps and come up with like our own little rule sets and stuff. And they weren't you weren't able to like actually put in your own rule sets, but we'd just be like, you know, uh, like an, an honor system. system. Yeah, yeah, yeah an honor system. <laughs> like right. Once you've once you've got ten kills, you have to run and flick the switch, and, uh, and that's how you win the game. And it was cool; like it worked really well. We had a couple of good little levels out of it, and uh, and then that progressed into I think it was Half Life Two, uh, when I when I really picked up on it because um, they brought out Hammer yeah, yeah. engine for that, and that's when I really got into kind of not I wouldn't necessarily say level design, but just the idea of three D and building worlds and all this kind of stuff really kind of took hold. But so like before yeah. all that stuff, like do you have are there any sort of early game experiences that kind of really stand out for you, like specific games or specific moments that were like, this was a special thing, this was important, like in retrospect, maybe? Um, do you mean when I was much younger or, or just in general? Yeah, just or? like before kind of Half-Life and Doom, I guess. Oh, right. Um, uh, or was it just like, this is just fun, we're just going to play? Yeah, I think it was just fun, yeah. I mean, I tried to play as much as I could. Um, I think I did still tend towards games that had atmosphere, even even as a kid, like... Things like Alien Breed oh, okay. and stuff like that that I was really kind of hooked on and it was just stuff that had a bit more, yeah, a bit more atmosphere or tension or whatever to it that wasn't just like things like puzzle games or, or really kind of cerebral games didn't really bother me, but things like Mist did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I got really kind of sucked into so that like kind, kind of stuff. stuff that kind of hinted at a bigger world kind yeah, of thing. Exactly, like you yeah, exactly. Even if they couldn't necessarily, you know, yeah, they couldn't show thing, it. Yeah, 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 they couldn't show it, but they hinted at it. And I think that, that kind of definitely resonated where it's like you can build... Like, I, th- I think I maybe equated it to like filmmaking as well. It was like you get yeah. to tell these stories and build this world, you know, without having to be a, a good writer, having to be a good illustrator. There was like another outlet yeah, for that a kind way of thing. Of doing that, yeah, getting that feeling. And did, like, did you? Was there like a, a friendship group? I mean, it's, I suppose if you've got like your, your dad and your brother are both into it, then you don't necessarily need more. But you know, was there? Did you form kind of groups of friends around games and stuff? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we didn't really make stuff together, but like, um, so Omar, who's the other kind of co-founder yeah. of um, of No Code, we've known each other since we we're like 
four years old or whatever. Oh, amazing. I've been friends for years. Um, we didn't really do much kind of game makey stuff back then. Um, played like Warhammer and stuff like that when we were kids. Um, uh, but me and uh, David Farrell uh, were best mates in high school. Oh, no way. Um, so we we done a lot together and played a lot of a lot of games in the kind of every lunchtime. Because I, I live just down the, down the road from the school. Right. Um, and I didn't meet David until yeah, I was in like maybe 13, 14. Um, and then we used to go down to my house at lunchtime and just play Doom or play whatever <laughs> and muck about with stuff. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like there was definitely a, a kind of friend network based, that, you know, built out of kind of a yeah. mutual uh, appreciation for games and stuff it's, like it's that. It's amazing that age, to think yeah. about that, like that, this friendship group, like you've all gone on, you know, obviously like, you know, you started this company and David's now, you know, um, lecturing at GCU and stuff on the game design stuff. It's just yeah. having that kind of circle of enthusiasm I suppose it just sort of you know you egg everybody else on you know it's really it's really nice to see that it's yeah. all kind of worked out in that way I think it's cool you know it's, it's like there's something really nice about the fact that you know um, quite a few of people in no code have known each other since we were kids and we know David and you know a couple of other guys and, and we've all kind of followed this passion and actually gotten somewhere with yeah, it absolutely. in our different ways you know it's like whether it's academia or whether it's in development it's just we've all kind of we're all still in that yeah. circle which is kind of cool um, and despite like, the fact we've all kind of been either been travelling or lived down south or whatever totally, you know, yeah. we've, we've ended up back in a similar place doing similar things and that's kind of really nice you know and do you think that kind of like you were talking about the, the doom and half life do you think that's where kind of that started for you or maybe like you started to think more seriously like oh, I could do this because it, like wasn't it was it half life where you could kind of sell mods so you could start to or at least um, there was I don't know, it feels like with Half-Life, a lot of people kind of made their start in games through that, basically, because there seems to be a lot of attention. Yeah, I think, I think it was a mix. Uh, personally, it was, um, it was Half-Life 2, because I think it was just the tool sets that came out and when they came out, like Hammer, Hammer for Half-Life 2 came out and because, I mean, you were just using the assets that they had in the game, but yeah. it kind of meant that, you know, if you kind of applied yourself and you and you looked at what was in the game and how they you know if you tried to deconstruct it you could build places that looked like half-life two levels and that made you feel kind of good about yourself yeah, totally. you know you kind of go wow i can do i can actually do this this is cool even though there was far more involved in what you would realize at that time um and i think for even for doom doom maps and and quake one and stuff like that and unreal the original unreal and it's it shipped with an editor as well and it just like that introduced people to this idea that you can do this stuff at home. Yeah. Even if you couldn't build full experiences, you could uh, you could do something, you know. And like, I, I mean, I never really tinkered with that as much. Like a friend of mine built our local pub in Half-Life, I remember, which I thought was just a piece of magic. <laughs> but like, was there, could you kind of um, put in kind of uh, events? Like, could you essentially like, like script a, a story through a level or was it just building a level? Um, you kind of could. It, it really depended on your skill level, I think. Okay. I, I, I never really got, as far as I'm, I don't remember doing much stuff like that. I think most of the things about were like multiplayer maps. Um, because I think actually doing like, you wouldn't be able to put in like animated content without yeah. being an animator. And, you know, there were still those limitations like, you know, well, you, can't, you can't do X, Y, Z if you're not trained in that yeah, field. Yeah. So you were using the existing assets unless you knew 3D and you knew, understood the pipeline. And I think I was just maybe a tiny bit too young at that point. It was maybe yeah. like, I think nowadays it'd probably be a different story, but I was like, for Doom, I was maybe 14 or 15 when I was modding that and kind of still a bit young to to understand the real intricacies of Absolutely, that kind of thing, yeah. you know. Um, 
Whereas Half-Life 2, I think, I might have, when was that, 2002 or 4? So I'd have been in my early 20s at that point, and so I was a lot more like, I can do stuff here. So, yeah. But like, had you had that idea beforehand, like, oh, I could do games, like, was that something in your head that you wanted to do, no? Uh, yeah, well, I, <laughs> I, I applied for uni when I was about 18 to do, a, I think it was computer science. There wasn't a games course anywhere near us at the time. Um, and I, I went to Cali, and I lasted about a month because <laughs> I realised it was all maths <laughs> and I wasn't very good at maths um, so I kind of dropped out and but it wasn't really to get into games it was just like I think whatever I want to do is something involving computers yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, so I wasn't sure exactly what that would be and computer science wasn't the answer and I thought it might have been um, so I dropped out yeah I think I lasted about six weeks or something and uh, it just wasn't for me and then you know I kind of just dosed around for years not knowing what to do um <laughs> playing a lot I, of games though i imagine playing yeah playing a lot of games and kind of really liking it but not realizing not thinking that there was a career for it yeah um, at no point did i think i'm going to become a, a games artist or level designer or anything like that i just kind of thought oh these are these magic things that appear it's kind of like well, a lot of people view films and hollywood yeah, and stuff yeah. they kind of see it as this unobtainable dreamscape where you kind of go oh, i'd love to do that kind of thing but i came from a you know a pretty uh, working class um, part of Glasgow where you know you're not really encouraged to like follow your dreams yeah. so much it's kind of like you need to get a job son and <laughs> pay your rent you know and and that's completely valid and uh, and that's kind of how we that area we were brought in like in school I remember saying in school before I was leaving they asked you kind of what do you want to do when you leave and I was like I don't know but I think it involves like computers and maybe art or music like something creative to do yeah. with computers and he went, no, 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 you need a job in a factory or you need a job. Go to, if you want, you either work in an office or go to uni and become a chemist. And I was like, why a chemist? <laughs> and, uh, but that was the kind of thing. It was just like, you're either going to be really clever and do science yeah, yeah, or yeah. you were going to be normal, as they would call it, and go and do an office job or something. And I just find it really strange. And so that, that kind of lack of encouragement was kind of derailed me a Absolutely. little bit i mean um, I, I my parents were always really encouraging and always very very kind of like patient with me yeah. kind of going i don't know what i want to do until i was maybe 30 <laughs> 25 um but it took me a long time before i kind of stumbled upon games i, I ended up doing graphic design and learning to you know 2d design and, and kind of never was really an illustrator but more like typography and layout and, yeah. and things like that which eventually after years of doing freelance work and, and moving into motion graphics and animated graphic design essentially that that then suddenly made me go ah UI in games yeah, is yeah, essentially this that. it's graphic design and it's the same principles and um, as motion graphics and yeah it kind of stumbled into it That's uh, when amazing. I was about 28 27 28 as I kind of went oh there's a thing I can do here I didn't realize you were that old, Sean. I know. I know. Yeah. You, you don't look it. You look well. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know about that. I've went a lot greyer since I started in games. I, I, I wonder, though, like this, because I had a kind of uh, a similar thing, I guess. Like, I, 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 I messed up my A-levels, so I was meant to be doing all this. I was, I was meant to get very good grades, and I did not. So right. all of my university plans were kind of dashed, and I went somewhere through clearing, and I lasted a week. I hated it. And I kind of just, I didn't doss around because I was in a band. So that was obviously, I had a very sensible idea I was going to yes. be in a band. Well, I did that as well. Yeah, that's what yeah, I was supposed to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but there was a couple of years where like all of my friends went away to university and I just sort of stayed and I was like, oh, this is fine. I'll be in a band. And I would play a lot of games. And it was, this was like 
early 2000s so it was a it was a good period for games it was like mm. the dreamcast and oh yeah, yeah stuff yeah. so Golden but i was always kind of um i always felt quite guilty about it like as much as i sort of loved playing games and i would have time like now looking back i'm like man i could have played so much more <laughs> like <but it> just <laughs> yeah. there's this guilt and like, no, i shouldn't i should try and do something else i should try and do something else and like did you have that where you know you would play a lot like did you ever get the sort of guilt to like oh man this isn't I need to do something more. Uh, yeah, potentially. Like I was in a band as well, and I kind of thought that was my calling for okay. a long time. Um, what was your band called? Uh, we were Futuro, um, and we done all right. Like we were okay. Uh, were you we, in a band with David uh, for a very short period of time. Okay, David still brings up. <laughs> no, because I remember him mentioning that when I yeah. chatted to him. Um, yeah, um, yeah. So I, I, I was in a band, and David was in it for a little while, and then that band kind of stopped and we started another one and the the second band done much better um it was like 2006 i think was our kind of big year and we played tina park and oh, amazing done a, a little bit of touring and stuff like that and it was really positive and going really well and then we kind of discovered that well i i think i discovered that if you're not the right type of person it's very hard to get anywhere in that industry like if you're not a schmoozer you're not a yeah, yeah, yeah. hyper confident social person and like i had no problem going up on stage in front of like you know, we, we played a gig with the Fratellis, who were big back then. I think we played to like a couple of thousand people. And I had no problem doing that. But when it came to like sitting down and having a chat or getting drunk with some label A&R guy, I just, yeah, that's yeah. just not me. You know, I just wasn't capable. And I think that actually closed lots of doors because <laughs> we weren't the right type of people. For it. We were all like, Omar was lecturing. My brother was a high school teacher. You know, it was just like, we were just not the right type of people. To, yeah, yeah. To, so is that a, a kind of family business as well? The band, yeah, is absolutely. Yeah, yeah, the same yeah. Thing. It's, it's we've, we've stuck together the whole way. Like even my wife, um, uh, Lee, she she works with us kind of part time at the moment, um, and she was our merch person back in the band. And it's just like, yeah, we've just kind of kept it together. We've always done creative stuff together, made little short films or made whatever. What's it, what, what was the music? Um, it was kind of like Franz Ferdinand. It was very much of the time. Okay, um, kind of. I don't know what, they, what was it art rock or whatever you call it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Exactly that kind of thing is kind of angular, like angular, angular math rock. rock. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it was like you know the biggest inspirations were like um, uh, what are they called again, forward Russia, stuff like that. Yeah, okay, um, okay. Yeah, it was kind of really intact and stuff. But it was like a more mainstream version of that kind of thing. And yeah, we done all right. And we. Uh, we were trying to do the self-publishing thing because it was going really well and without a label we we're like maybe we can just go all the way yeah, with this yeah. and not conform to the usual industry stuff of like get a label get a publisher you know and let them run the show it was like well we're doing well so far let's let's see if we can continue it and we did get to the point where we had an album almost ready to go and we had a publisher and not a publisher we had a distributor pr and plugger and radio plugger all lined up to, to help do this thing yeah. like a campaign and then we got a phone call to say that they were going to I think it was a plugger said we're actually going to give your slot to the Ting Tings do you remember the Ting Tings? I do yeah they were great um, I don't think they were great because they oh. took our slot and then everyone else pulled out and that was it oh no <laughs> they were like we're going to give your slot to the Ting Tings and then because one pulled out all the others pulled out that's gutting because they were and, really uh, big for like about were, a year uh, for about a year yeah and it was just like I the, saw that actually they played in King Tut's about two weeks ago oh really right which I thought was amazing wow yeah so so I had to I, I don't really know much of their music but I had this bitterness for them <laughs> because uh, they'd stolen our slot just purely in an administration level oh, and uh, and then we kind of just that that was the kind of final nail in the coffin we kind of gave up on that at that point it was just like 
yeah, I think I was like 27. My daughter must have been about five at that point. And I was just like, I need to. Yeah, you need to get Stop a real job. Yeah, get like, a real, let's get yeah. into video games. Yeah, I need to get a, get a proper job. And, <laughs> but uh, yeah. let's, what, what about games from that sort of period, though? Like, were you playing a lot? Like, were you still invested into it? Like, you were still always playing? Still constant, yeah. yeah. I think the 360 was a was around... That was probably was the like 2005, thing. 2006. Yes, yeah. So yeah. around that point when I was in a band, it was just, you know, that was the other thing that I loved was just playing games and but again even then I still didn't really think there was much of an opportunity for it especially in Scotland like yeah but even you know, with like all the the stuff in Dundee and Abate and all that like yeah I think I was just largely unaware of what was there okay and I hadn't really done the, the research or the homework to find out I think it was just like yeah the same way that up until maybe even like I don't know a year ago I thought film industry was just like this unattainable yeah you know you cannot you can't be part of it unless you're in the right line somehow um yeah, I, 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 I've been doing a lot of TV and movie stuff recently, and I've never dreamed of doing that. But I came to Glasgow and I met a screenwriter at a party by chance. I was like, "Oh right, you're this mm. is an actual thing that people can do. People and can do it, you yeah. live here, and I live here, so maybe I can do that too." Yeah, it's just having that kind of all oh, right, just meeting that right person or something that you know, it makes it somehow. All oh, right, I could probably give that a go if I wanted. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's what, really good for me. It was um, my. Uh, who's now my brother-in-law but my, my friend Ben had gotten a job at Real Time Worlds um, he was working in QA um, and then it, he had mentioned that they were looking for a motion graphics artist which was a really weird position back then yeah. you know, nowadays it would just be a 2D animator or UI animation or whatever and uh, and I was like really they're looking you know that was the thing I did you know I was I was kind of teaching at that time as well at college I was doing like teaching motion graphics and what, what does that mean what, are the, what why what's the difference between motion graphics and animation um, not a huge amount. I think motion graphics is more like animated graphic design, okay, rather than like animating characters. So it's more of, UI, basically. Yeah, it's kind of like animated UI, but for like you know, it's like title sequences and yeah, films yeah. and things like that. It's like, or, or you know, for adverts or the kind of things that would appear during a football match with the scores. That's all motion graphics. Right? Okay, okay. So I was kind of learning that stuff and teaching a lot of that stuff as well, and so it felt weird that a games company would be looking for that, but I just chanced it anyway and thought, okay, well. So I went home and spent like four days, 24 hours straight each day making a portfolio, which I didn't have, and submitted it and heard nothing for about nine months and just <laughs> forgot all about it. And then suddenly got a call saying, do you want to come up for an interview? That's amazing. And that was just through, yeah, like there was no, it, it was just purely because uh, because Ben had moved there and started this job. I was like, oh, he's got a job in games. I didn't realize you could get a job in games. Yeah, and you can just apply. And get yeah, one, and maybe. Just, he, he applied and he got there. And, and Ben's now, he's now in Iceland at CCP and he's now a designer there. And Amazing. Doing great, which is cool. Um, but I just CCP is, that's Eve, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so he's working on Eve, yeah. And um, yeah, I just didn't think that was a thing that you could do. And, and had, But had you like, I mean, you said you'd like messed around with uh, like Half-Life levels and stuff. And I'm, I'm imagining, you know, a big part of games is like UI and menus and stuff. Depending on the game, I suppose, but it is mm. that can add a lot to a game, like a good a good menu system. So, like, were you aware of that? I suppose. I mean, you must have been if that yeah. was what you were doing and you were playing a lot of games. Like, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, because my interest or because my kind of job, freelance job at the time, was doing motion graphics, and so there was just lots to compare. You know, you'd see a lot. I'd, I'd see a lot of things in games and cringe at it whether it was artistically or, you know, in terms of UX and kind of, the, yeah. the, you know, the, the kind of more psychological side behind UI, which fascinated me, you know, how to 
not just how to teach people how to play, but how to kind of, you know, how how a, a menu can actually set the tone. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and that you know, I was I, I was obsessed, and I still am obsessed with the first experience, the idea that the you know the first thing you see when you put the disc in the machine or you hit play when you're what's playing it for the first time. You know, like what's a good example of that? And what's like something you were like, oh man, this is so good. Um, UI wise, I'm not I'm not sure if we get any off the top of my head. Um, I think, like in terms of first experience, like you, you start the game and you get drawn in, something like Bioshock, you know, yeah, narratively, yeah, yeah. which just like pulls you in. But from a graphic design level, I'm not really sure. I think it was more just about that kind of layer of polish and presentation and a good menu. Like I remember, even something like Dead Space One set the tone really well. Yeah, because that was you all got kind into of the in-game UI stuff. Yeah, like and and even the, the even the front end was kind of was all in world style. It was all in the same yeah. visual language as the game. And you had these kind of creepy sounds in the background and everything. It just told you exactly what this game was about, even before you hit. Yeah. Even though you were just hitting like new game, picking a difficulty and all these kind of like standard tasks that we've had in games for thirty years, you were doing that. But it was still like drawing you into the atmosphere, and you feel a little bit tense going into the yeah. game purely in the menu. And I think that's really, really important to kind of streamline that. Um, and I've always tried to take that forward into the the games that I've worked on, um, and like on Alien. Because I was I was the lead UI two D artist, and um, I was kind of obsessed with that as well. And so I made sure that all the logo idents at the beginning for like CA and Sega were all produced yeah, yeah. in the same style. And you know, tried to keep this theme flowing. So as soon as you put that disc in, you kind of got that lo-fi sci-fi feel. And yeah, absolutely, you kind of got a sense of what the thing was about. And then on the on the PC version, AMD had to have their logo in, and they wouldn't have it in a different style. So it totally broke it, and I'll never forgive them. <laughs> And I'm happy to say that on the record. <laughs> but it was just like, yeah, it was like to try and keep this continuous flow so that you felt like from start to finish it was a full experience and you yeah, never, yeah. never really pulled out of it, even though you're displaying legal text. You can still, it's still a weird fit it thing in though, somehow, like, you know? Alien is a brilliant example, and this may be kind of me sort of talking to my age and stuff, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm certain this is something that you're, you think about or, or at least you're influenced by is that it reminds me that that kind of process of you know going through the menus and setting the tone i always think of like videos like videos from a, a video shop like that mm. that experience the whole experience of like the the idents at the beginning and, and trailers and stuff that was it's part of it always yeah. such an exciting thing like yeah. to get a new video and see what the trailers were and even now like you i can't remember what film i watched the other day and uh they had they had the tristar opening with the horse running oh, and i was yeah, like oh my god yeah. and just that was such a, an evocative thing because it's you, it, it, you don't see it very often anymore. Yeah, I, th I think so. That, a lot that of my stuff... best childhood memories were like uh, like either Orion or TriStar, you know, yes. the openings. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of there was a lot of weight in those things, which we've maybe kind of lost now because it's been over overcooked. Like there's yeah. now you go and see any well, you go and see a lot of films and there's like four or five idents at the beginning because every, yeah, you know, everything's the cost is so spread out now. Yeah, and and so it kind of takes you know takes any impact away from it but yeah back in the day if you you saw the the intro title cards and uh, yeah the idents of the distributor and stuff they all yeah the big guy with the gong i can't remember which one that was rank rank yes rank um it, it, no, it really you, sets you, the, a tone because you yeah. knew the type of thing you were going to get as well based on you know the whatever the ident was yeah. whatever the production company was and it was a proper like you know curtain opening moment it yeah, was like yeah, it was yeah. the beginning and you kind of felt like right you're get this is, this is starting now and you got excited and we like we all used to sit and watch um alien special edition 
we had on VHS and we used to watch that every week. Um, Omar <laughs> would come around to me and Graham's house and we'd sit and watch that. Even if it was just in the background, it would just be on. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, we'd play it from the beginning. In the beginning, you got a couple of logos and then you got a trailer for Alien 3 because it was, I think, when the special edition was being released, Alien 3 was about to hit the cinemas. Yeah, yeah. But we watched that every time as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like watching the Alien 3 trailer was part of watching Aliens for us and it always will be, you know. That's amazing. And it's just, yeah, I think you, you take a lot of that stuff with you and I think it's really important for people to think about that stuff in, when they're presenting their game and it's, you know, you're putting all this time and effort into making your core game look as good as it can, play as good as it can, be immersive, to not pay attention to, like, the box art. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. Just, a, just doing yourself a disservice, like... It's like taking the best present you can give to someone and wrapping it in really rubbish wrapping paper <laughs> and making a dog's dinner of it. It's like there's no point in, in putting all that effort in and forgetting this vital thing, which is the first thing they see yeah. is the front end. It's the, the logos. If that doesn't look decent, then the first thing they see is is kind of amateurish art or, or poor menu system that you can't really navigate. And it's like, what does that say about yeah, If yeah. you don't care about that, what else don't you care about? And that's the kind of exactly. the feeling I always got from it, you know? And this is a total aside. I don't know if you listen to um, uh, Important If True, the Idle Thumbs kind of oh, yeah, podcast. Yeah, and yeah. They were talking, just when we were talking about trailers there, I thought it was really interesting. There was a story on there the other week about how, you know, the, this whole idea of Sinbad was a, a genie in a film called Shazam. Right. And, but apparently that doesn't exist. And it's this whole kind of, is it the Nelson Mandela effect and stuff of this uh. ultimate history where everyone thinks there was this film with Sinbad playing the genie, but it never actually existed. Okay. And he said it's never existed, but people are adamant that this definitely existed. <laughs> and it's this whole thread. And someone had written into the, their podcast to sort of explain why he thinks that this has happened. And it's because the VHS for uh, Shazam, which was the genie film, which had Shaquille O'Neal in it, the, the trailer beforehand was like featuring uh, Sinbad and it was some other film with Sinbad. And they just... So because kids had watched this video, they'd just put the trailer and the film together. And that's fascinating. It's really yeah. interesting, isn't it? Yeah, just, yeah. just the way that was... Because it was a real like big selling video at the time mm. and it's just the way they've kind of mashed together in people's memories. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I think stuff like that is just great. And we, we've, we've kind of lost a bit of that now with Netflix and yeah. streaming and stuff. You know, you just get what you want when you want and you don't... You know, I think there's obviously, it's great that we're doing that, but you also feel like we've lost something yeah, in, yeah. in that transition, you know. No, it's, it's, it's always, I mean, it's always a trade-off. Like, things are better and things are worse in yeah, various exactly. ways. Um, I, I'm, I'm conscious we haven't talked enough about, about video games, so what's... But, like, for this period then, when you're in bands and stuff, and just before you sort of start working in games, what is, like, what games sort of stand out for you as being, like, important or... Um, exciting experiences I think the, yeah I think the one that stood out the most at the time was Bioshock 1 yeah um, which I just started playing again last night I saw um, yeah I saw you tweeting about that earlier yeah I just um, yeah my brother picked up and, and I thought yeah I should actually get this because I, I loved I loved all three games um, but it's been such a long time since I played the first and I remember just being in awe the whole time and just kind of like sucked in from that kind of opening monologue which is just some of the best like it's not even so much like the best video game writing or anything like that it's just the entire package just works so well yeah like, the whole thing is really the, evocative the and stuff. screen it pops up and you get andrew ryan's amazing monologue and then it just so theatrical you know it's like yeah. and i chose rapture and it's just like so over the top but you're just like <gasps> by the whole thing it really takes you in and 
still think you know I was just like that that really was a moment for me it was like games aren't just yeah, yeah, arcadey yeah. things they don't have to just be you know a means to an end where you just go around shooting things or whatever you know there's, there can be depth there can be a message can be in you know a political message it can be anything you want in there and that, that was a good example of it for me so I started playing it last night and I was like with my older more cynical mind yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of going right well, let's see if this is held up and it was just like yeah as soon as the you know and i gave you rapture i was just like oh, this is so good <laughs> you know and and i thought i thought i'll put it on and i'll have a look and and just kind of usually i've done this quite a lot recently i've bought older games that have been remastered and i play them for like an hour and i go right cool that's me got my fix and yeah. it's a nostalgia thing and i kind of go that's really cool i love that game but i'm probably not going to play it again but i was up to like two o'clock in the morning still playing <laughs> and yeah i was just like i'll just play a bit more i'll just play a bit more and that's me hooked again on Bioshock 1. Oh, man. That was like so a good. really, really pivotal point for me where I realized that games could be so much more than than what I'd seen before, what I was experienced yeah. before. Like, I loved, in terms of gameplay design, like, I love things like Dead Rising, the first one. Oh, it's um, one of my absolute favorite games. And it's just... I think it's much maligned. Yeah, like, it, like I thought... I, I didn't think as much of a second one... Um, I never played because I think three was the Xbox One. Yeah, yeah three so was I'm, Xbox. I've not played three either. Yeah, I've not played three. Um, but the first one was just brilliant. Even though I bought it on a, I had the I got the Xbox 360, but I had a standard Def TV. Okay. And you couldn't read any yeah, of the mission read text any on text. it. Yeah, and uh, it was just like, well, I'll just have to imagine what it says and uh, <laughs> play anyway. But it was just such a good fun game. This kind of like open world thing. I, I don't know it. That, that, honestly, it started the, so much off. Like I think a lot of people don't realize how much like the Ubisoft games and things like that owe to Dead Rising. Oh, absolutely. You know, massively, and um, it's yeah, it's, it's kind of a big influencer yet never really. I, well, think I don't know if it really amazing. got that critical acclaim it should have, but yeah, um, that the, was the, the structure well. of it is like I, I've played through Dead Rising more like at least four or five times, and hmm. it's one of those weird games where I get. It's kind of. I remember seeing footage of it and being like, "Oh my god, how can this this with them just picking up all the environment and throwing around yeah. the zombies? This is amazing." And I've never been so not. I mean, I have been that excited, but I was very excited for the release of it, and it was it was exceeded my expectations. And then just the way they timed it, so you had to you had to make a choice. You have this set period of time to play through the game, yes. and you can either try and save everyone or you can try and do the missions, but you can't do both. And oh man, it's so good. And I've I've. I've gone back and I've played it again. I played it again last year when they re-released the remastered, and oh, it's yeah, still yeah. absolutely brilliant. And yeah. the 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 different sort of stories you can get out of it, the, the stories you can make yourself as well, with like trying to get five survivors back to their base at once, in one, yeah, guiding them. It's amazing. Yeah. So I think stuff like that, from a game design point of view, really was really exciting as well. Just these kind of these games that were still kind of mainstream and still big budget but they yeah. tried something different you know they, they did actually go beyond I think other than that it was like you're playing like Call of Duty 2 you know 1 and 2 and stuff and kind of, and I played a lot of like Madden and stuff like that back then as well and I kind of I think I just saw like, other than maybe like the Final Fantasy the early Final Fantasy yeah. games there was not really much else that was kind of in, in terms of narrative and stuff that I really tapped into until Bioshock came along um but had you played like because of like what you've done recently with the stories and told stuff like had you played tax adventures like was that a big part of you as a kid or? so yes and no like i played i did play some with my and i remember playing them with my dad quite a bit um but yeah i didn't play a huge amount and especially on the run-up to house abandon or 
beyond like I definitely didn't do my research um, <laughs> and I hold my hands up to that um, so I didn't realise that there was quite so much of like a, a fan base for this stuff even yeah. now I kind of figured like you know people just you know that a new twine existed and I'd seen some stuff done in that and that felt different to me because it was more like options yeah, rather yeah, yeah. than it was like multiple choice options like Mass Effect dialogue or whatever it's that kind of thing um, so I didn't really consider that text adventure in the same sense which in my head was just open door go north yeah, and yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff and I remember being told I don't understand I don't understand all the time um, so I didn't really do my, my, my homework at all and we did get a bit of flack and quite rightly so in some some regards that we didn't follow the conventions of interactive fiction you know we didn't use how does that mean how, how do you mean like if you like i think you had a lot of a lot of not necessarily recent but games over the last maybe 10 years like if you just press i you'll get your inventory we don't even okay. have an inventory in our game like we just it, it, what i made was like a text adventure as i remember them yeah. rather than an actual like let's do a bit of research on what makes text adventures good and then go make a good version i yeah, didn't yeah. really do that i was kind of like <laughs> i've got this mad idea for a game that in, that involves text adventures in some way um and i just kind of went by what my memory of was it ra yeah. rather than uh rather than actually paying attention I, which I, is a really I, sloppy thing to do but it's a crazy world because yeah. i remember i spoke to quite early on in doing the podcast actually i spoke to uh, meg jayanth who made uh, 80 days she's one of the writers mm. of 80 days and she like she was someone who had always loved kind of interactive fiction and grown up in she was she introduced me essentially to this like whole kind of parallel world of like muds and ifs yeah. and all these sort of genres that i hadn't really looked at um and yeah it's it always surprises me when you sort of a thing that you kind of remember oh yeah they, they made those games once and then you realize this this whole kind of parallel history where they've just continued making them and making brilliant versions of them exactly and yeah and so it, i was just you know i was just kind of ignorant to it and didn't realize it was there to the this, i mean i think it's still super niche right it's still like oh absolutely still yeah. mega mega niche but um yeah i just wasn't aware that there was this kind of fan base and so a lot of like our, we've, our steam reviews are kind of mostly positive which is great but a lot of the negative ones we get are kind of like this isn't a true if game and i go okay well we it's not anyway like yeah, yeah literally like we're doing stuff that's totally breaks you know all conventions of of text adventures yeah. like you know the text adventure is like this kind of uh lie that we put on top of it you know <laughs> off top of the whole game we pretend but um but yeah a lot of people just get really upset by the the lack of kind of yeah the kind of conventions that people were expecting and you know it's like go north if they want and you know we we just didn't do our homework but um but I find it a fascinating genre and I've now gotten more into it and kind yeah. of like read up more about it. I've still not played much, but um, but just reading up on people's like critiques of things and stuff like that and kind of learning a bit more about that genre, even though the chances of us doing more text adventures is pretty low. It's still... Uh, oh, you never know though. You never know, yeah. Games. I mean, I think come, come game jams and stuff like that, we probably will kick yeah. out a few more things. And I'd like to do a Stories Untold season two at some point and... Um, do some more stuff more absolutely but, but you know like i say stories was um was very much a text adventure you know something pretending to be a text adventure for a long time so uh those kind of wackier ideas are what i'm kind of more interested yeah, yeah, in yeah. like yeah um i'm going to take a brief aside to do some uh, relatively quick fire questions so uh john if you had to play a game with death for your own mortal soul what game are you best at Oh, um, probably Wipeout. Really? Yeah, I'm quite good at Wipeout. 
Which which version? Any version? Um, well, I'm playing the the new the well the remasters at the moment, um, the Mega Collection. But yeah, I'm playing. So I'm playing twenty. What was it? Twenty forty eight was the Vita one. I feel like because I've I've been playing yeah, that sorry. as well, and I feel like everyone's just defaulted to twenty forty eight because it's just the first it's one. The first one. one. Yeah, the yeah. I feel like I've got to do them in the right order. Um, Basically, they're also like relatively big games, so it's like well, yeah, there's a lot. I, mean, I can't imagine once I'm done with twenty forty eight that I'll move on to the next ones, but maybe maybe like I yeah. played the HD version before I had that on PS three. Yeah, so HD and Fury are the HD and Fury are really good, but they are they are easier than twenty forty eight. Yeah, and, I'm and terrible at it. Like. Like, I put yeah. So I got the collection. Was it last week it came out? I think, um, or last week I picked it up, and I was like, man, I suck at this. This is a lot harder than I remember. And kind of went, God, I must be getting old. But then I just persevered, and now like me and a bunch of mates are just competing on leaderboards, and you know, trying to get further and further. Like I started off at like eighty thousandth in the leaderboard for the for the first track in twenty forty eight, and now I'm four hundred odd, and my mates That's like eighty good. something, and we're just like inching closer and closer trying to get into that top 50 um and yeah it's, it's something about it i think it's did you play a lot of the like original and stuff uh, yeah. yeah ps1 and i think yeah i think ps2 as well but so you just have the kind of muscle memory of it yeah i think i've got ps2 one up there actually um yeah yeah i think it's just i'd spent a lot of time playing that when i was a teenager and just kind of as soon as you get back into how you use those air brakes and you know you just kind of get yeah it's a muscle memory thing you just get back into it so i, really I think i struggle with it yeah and I, I want to be good at it, but I just, I don't think, I think because I never really played it when I was younger, I've only really, like, I think the first time I spent a lot of time in Wipeout was the the HD one on the PS3. Oh, right, um, yeah, yeah. And I really enjoyed it, but I just, I think, yeah, I don't have those muscle memories, so I don't, I'm, I'm yeah. forever hitting walls, and my goal is always just destroy everything else, and maybe I'll win the race. <laughs> maybe you'll get through, yeah. That, that's that's my, my, my tip. Yeah, it's a funny thing, because it's just like a super intense Mario Kart. It's like, it's the yeah. same design, it's just much faster. You know, you're, you're still laying bananas and firing shells, it's yeah. just, they're much more aggressive looking, and you're going at five times the speed. But that's the thing, is I, I loved Mario Kart and the Super Nintendo, that was like my favourite game for years, until I found out that all the other characters were just on a spline, and there was no AI. And oh they really? Just, they just drive the exact same every time. So if you don't get in their way, they'll take the exact same route, and the results will be exactly the same. Oh come on, that's not true, is it? That's what I heard. Yeah, I've not verified it myself, but I've been told that by a few different sources that if you interrupt them, so if you like shell someone or knock yeah, them off yeah. the road, they'll just find their way back onto that preset path and then continue again. Oh, that's disappointing. I know it kind of so I might have ruined the game for everyone, <laughs> but um, it really killed it for me because I was just like, oh, I know. All those childhood memories, I thought, man, Bowser's good. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, no, he isn't. <laughs> That's what because you do, you properly like transplant, you know, personalities onto the Absolutely, wall. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's yeah. disappointing. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, is there, has there ever been a game that kind of has consumed your life to the point where you've had to just delete it and remove it from a system? And... Uh, yeah, I think Star Wars Galaxies was that one for me. So when did you start getting into that then? Uh, did you mention that at the start? When did that come out? Um, That's relatively recent, like five years ago, maybe? Well, no, it was more than that. Yeah, more than that. That was like 2002, 2003 or something. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got it. I think my brother bought me it for Christmas. Or oh, no, he bought, he bought me Prince of Persia for the PC and it didn't work on my laptop. <laughs> so I traded it in for Star Wars Galaxies. And weirdly, at that time, over that Christmas period, they were doing like if you had a copy, you could gift someone else 10 days. Okay. And so I gifted like uh, 
my wife or my girlfriend at the time, but there's now my wife, um, my friend Ben, and I think my dad and my brother all got ten days, and so over those ten days over Christmas, we all played it, and we're just all obsessed. That sounds amazing. It was really cool, and like to the point where it became this kind of land party where we just all got together and uh, in my my wife's house, and we just had all these machines on the desk, and we're just (laughs) playing this MMO, and it was like one of the first MMOs we'd properly played, and we're just blown away by it. That's and, a, that's a, that's and a lovely it, Christmas. Yeah, it was really, it was like a really cool time, a really, really nice kind of couple of weeks. Is that um, a summer you could be totally like a dancer immersed. or a musician? You could be anything, yeah. yeah. It was just so flexible. You had like player housing and you had, uh, so I ended up becoming a mayor of a town. <laughs> and it was, uh, yeah, and it was like one of the biggest player cities on it. I think it was the biggest player city on our server. Um and it was just like built, you had a transport hub, you had shops and people could set up their own shops and it was just like an incredible system. But then it got to the point where it was just a job because <laughs> I was running this town and we had this rule that only me or one other guy was able to place houses so we could control the layout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was like planning, city planning. And uh, and it got to the point where like my friend was like phoning me at like two in the morning. He's like, you need to come online and get this guy's house placed. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this is it. And I just had my my daughter was born not long before that, and it was just like this consuming this. I, I need to I need to adult <laughs> retire for a while, while. yeah. And so yeah, so I kind of gave up on it for a while, and then I think I went back to it, but they changed it with the new I can't remember what they called it, new experience, new user experience or something. Okay. And they kind of changed it so instead of like starting off as a nobody and becoming what you want, you started off as like Leia or Luke or Han, and they oh, kind of like good. created classes of stuff, and it just felt really weird. Um, and yeah, it kind of sucked a lot of joy out for me. And then I was like, I made the right decision, <laughs> but I still miss it. You know, I'd, I'd love to get back into that game. I'm saving MMOs for my retirement. Like I can't, <laughs> yeah, because I have that, I have that personality that I would just go all in. You just get addicted, kind of forget yeah. about stuff. Absolutely. Um, are you a, a competitive person? I mean, clearly you are a little bit because you just sort of wipe it there. But have you ever yeah. been locked in any prolonged high score battles? Not particularly. No. Um, I'm. Weirdly, I'm not a huge fan of like multiplayer games. Um, I much prefer like story-driven stuff or yeah. you know atmospheric-driven stuff. Um, so I'm not like I, I tried Overwatch and just couldn't get into it. And, and oh, I don't know. So good. Yeah, I know. It's the thing is like I, I I know it's really good, and I kind of I've got to the point now where I'm like, well, I know it's really good, so now I don't have to play it <laughs> <laughs> because everyone said how great it is. I'm like, cool, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't I don't have to put myself through it because I'm not great at the, at the first person shooters and stuff I'm not totally uh, yeah so I've never really got into the competitive side I think younger like me and David used to play like Command and Conquer against each other and we do a lot of stuff like that yeah. um, way back when it was like local network stuff we used to play Doom and Duke Nukem and whatever we could that was networkable we'd yeah. play but now yeah not so much I think Wipeout is actually probably the first game in a long time where I've been like challenging other people to and Trials as well. I did it with a bit of Trials oh, when it first yeah. came out in the 360. That was another one that I got competitive with. That's, um, I mean, that that was such a perfect sort of competitive version where you had the little ghosts of everyone yeah. like shooting past you and all it that. It was and f- so... And just that instant restart, Yeah, uh, which I think is essential for those kind of games. It's totally crippled me because it couldn't just do like, right, one more game. Because yeah. it was so instant. You're just like, as soon as you got a slight movement wrong, you just hammer the button and start again instantly, and it was like hours would pass. And you'd start, you'd start getting those things where you just you restart three times without even thinking about it. And yeah, like, you even know you're doing it. No, 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 yeah. I need to, I need to actually play the game before yeah. I restart. Just goes into a blur. Yeah, you get yeah, that trials thumb. Come out the other side sweating. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, re- I got really into that, but not too competitive. Um, yeah. If you are prone to such things, what is your worst rage quit? <laughs> <laughs> 
the worst rage quit. Um, probably, probably Bloodborne. Oh really? Recently, yeah. So I love that game and hate it all at the same time. And it kind of came out of nowhere for me because I wasn't a Souls fan or anything. I'd never played any of those games. Yeah. Everyone talks about how great they were, but the idea of playing for a long time and then dying and losing all your progress seemed like a really like a really bad idea to me you know it's like my you know i've got three kids and my time's at a premium so yeah, like yeah. the idea of me going right i've got a couple hours i can play games tonight for for one night this week so i'm gonna lose all that progress if i mess up it's like <laughs> that seems like a really bad idea and i started playing it and i just i got it was like in the first zone like the first level where there's like a bonfire and a bunch of people around it and i just couldn't get i just like i don't understand this game and it's dropped 50 quid on it and within about an hour, I was like, this is rubbish. People are crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. And I properly rage quit during that game. And then someone gave me a bit of, an av- of advice of how to actually play it, which isn't in the game. And it just opened up and then became like my favorite game of the year. Oh, but many amazing. times the controller was chucked away and just like... I can't imagine yeah, playing any quit. of those games without the internet. Like, Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's just, I ended it up buying... tell you anything. Yeah, because I ended up buying the guide for it, and it was telling you like how many frames an animation would run for, so you could time exactly which frames you need to parry on. Also, I was like, "What? <laughs> this is nuts!" But yeah, the depth of it and the tactics behind it were just in- insanely good. And but, also, but atmosphere is insane in that. The game. setting, like, the, yeah, everything about it just like it was just amazing, and I hated it to begin with. I thought it was a terrible game, and then suddenly, just it clicked, and then. Even though I'd still rage out on some of the bosses where you're just like, you know, they would turn into their third form or whatever, and you're just like, enough. I'd throw the pad away. My wife used to come in and say, I don't know why you're playing this. You hate it. And I'm like, I know. And then keep going, you know. Um, But yeah, I think that was probably the most memorable game in recent history where I actually got so consumed by it. Oh, it's amazing. And uh, and then I tried Dark Souls 3 and got nothing from it. I think Bloodborne definitely is is my favorite even that might be sacrilegious to say because there were there were just so many bits in it that were just like oh my god like yeah. the the kind of spoilers i guess if you haven't played bloodborne but the when you start the game and you kind of get killed by random invisible things yep. and you're like what like they're just really taking the piss now and then there's that switch about two-thirds of the way through and suddenly you can see yes yeah, so all these giant the cthulhu yeah. things on the side of the buildings you're like oh my god it all yeah. makes sense so yeah, I think yeah. I don't know what it was because I wasn't like mega mega into the lore, like the stuff that's kind of hidden in amongst it all. It was just yeah, I think the atmosphere and the, the subject matter and the art and just everything together with a really good snappy gameplay system, yeah. like really really well thought out combat. But like I say, I tried Dark Souls three because I thought well now I'm now I'm into these kind of games. I try that, and it was really hard and all that kind of stuff. But I think just skeletons and dragons just didn't really do anything for me, and I was just yeah. like nah, that just doesn't doesn't feel worth it pain whereas the kind of surreality of bloodborne was like yeah you literally have no idea what's going to happen next because you're suddenly punching a giant spider and the next minute you'd be in a different dimension or you know whatever yeah, it, just, like, yeah. it was totally it just kind of taking you on a, a journey and it was just yeah phenomenal yeah um given the sort of the the breadth of emotional response that games are potentially able to do uh comedy or laughter is often the the rarest so john what games have made you laugh Oh, um, God. It's tricky, isn't it? It is tricky, yeah. Because it's not something people play on a lot these days. You don't get a lot of humorous, humorous games. Back in the old days, you used to get a lot of stuff like LucasArts games are always, you know, yeah. Monkey Island and stuff like that was always about humor. Um, yeah, that's a tricky one. Yeah, I mean, Paul is the only one in recent memory that people kind of bring up 
a fair mm. bit of being like just it's a funny games right yeah, yeah. It, or just kind of uh Im, you know uh, is it, it's not immersive emergent emergent stuff in multiplayer and things or, or even stuff like you know far cry where there's room for like ridiculous things to happen yes but... yeah fun stuff can happen yeah as a result of yeah what you do yeah i think yeah i'm not really sure what would yeah i'm not sure it's a weird one it's a real question yeah it's a, it's a good question because there's there's a, definitely there's a lot of emergent stuff that comes out of games but it's kind of unintentional like yeah. i know crackdown had that kind of effect oh like absolutely yeah the multiplayer and crackdown kind of it wasn't designed to be a funny experience but it turned out to just be this great party of smashing things up and throwing cars around and running <laughs> up building and it just it became fun and people made their own fun like yeah. doing stunts where they could like someone would drive a car off a ramp and the other person would chuck a car and try and hit it and it was just silly fun but it was great when you got it right but um, actually like whether it's scripted or deliberately funny is a different story there's not a huge yeah, no, amount it's of although to be fair in Crackdown's credit I do remember that was one of the first games where you would like you said you would try and do just wacky stuff yeah. and it would it would occasionally you'd pop an achievement for it and be like yes. oh and that was kind of that kind of made you laugh just because like oh they thought of that like there was one for juggling a car i think like keeping a car in the air for like 30 or 40 seconds yeah and you got an achievement and that was just me dicking about with a rocket launcher just trying to just trying keep to a car out. in the sky and it's oh no they thought of that like, stuff like that i think was that's quite cool funny. yeah yeah um that that's a nice segue though into um to when you enter wheels and worlds was that to work on apb yeah 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 sorry apb and so I don't know. Can you talk about like that process? Yeah. Like, was it okay? Did, like, or was it because it all kind of just fell apart and it seemed to be one of the best looking games I've ever seen? Yeah, it just kind of nothing happened. With it, it was an emotional time. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was. I mean, that's I, a real I, baptism of fire for you, like to come into the games industry. On yeah, that I, I, yeah. I kind of yeah. It felt like jumping in the deep end and and kind of and I, it was great. Like I had a good experience there, and I still keep in touch with like Dave Jones and stuff. Like he's given us a bit of helping hand when we started up No Code. Yeah. And, um, you know, I keep in touch with a lot of guys from there. Uh, made a lot of friends through that that company. But yeah, it was one of these games where there was so much riding on it. Um, it was only ever going to be a massive hit or a massive failure. And yeah, it just slid onto the wrong side of it. And you know, there's loads of different factors. And I think it's very, um, it's very subjective about like what actually went wrong to the point to cause it to collapse yeah. the way it did and it really depends where you're sitting you've got a different kind of output uh, a different outlook on what that is um, but for me like i had a really good time on it um it was hard i've done a lot of a lot of overtime a lot of crunch um partly my own fault for just like wanting to my first first job in the industry and wanting yeah, to really yeah. knock try and knock it out of the park and and that game became a calling card for years where you know i produced all the loading screens Okay. And the main menu stuff like um, I wasn't doing the UI design of the game I was doing the visuals behind it all so I was doing all these kind of animated concept art sequences and uh, the videos that you got at the beginning so I was doing like kind of full cinematics at the very beginning of the game and stuff and so I kind of I just suggested lots of things I wanted to do and they gave me a free reign to do them and it ended up all shipping which was great so again the first experience was all kind of yeah, I yeah. took control of that because they didn't really have people looking after that specifically so I kind of just like pushed myself into all these different fields and um and it worked out really well for me and um you know it was like we got slated on I think it was IGN but in the little positives at the end they went the loading screens look nice and I was like <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a success everyone was crying and I'm going yes <laughs> I did it in your face yeah <laughs> um 
But it was, yeah, it was a, there's so many good things in that game and there's so many fundamental problems with it as well that just, to me, were just never going to work the way they were maybe intended to. I think we had lots of good plans after launch. Like, we only lasted about six weeks after launch before yeah. it all felt, like, really fell apart. And we had loads of cool plans for what we were going to do next to save it, you know, to kind of turn it around. Yeah. Things that we talked about for years or, you know, I was there for about a year and a half or something. Um, that we talked about doing but never got a chance to put it in for release and then yeah none of it ever saw the light of day which is really sad um, and then talking 250 people just scattered you know across, I mean, the, you across do the globe see that, after. like I, I do feel like and it is obviously a total like shame but that those people scattering means they take those ideas and things with them like I mean yeah. I'm sure there's elements of APB and like all the heists in GTA and stuff oh absolutely not, yeah it's you know a couple of miles down the road basically i'm sure a lot of those people moved on to that yeah so. i think that's the one you know it's a really sad thing like going through company redundancies like that and and you know company going bankrupt is a really tough time for everyone um and it's really hard to kind of articulate it's not just losing your job but if you're passionate about your job yeah. it's like it's losing your dream job you know which is it's not like and really, a bunch of friends that you've made and all exactly that sort of yeah stuff, you're yeah. turning i mean we we all we were all from different walks of life we had lots of people from the states from europe and all in Dundee of all places and it's kind of like you, you had your own pub we had the pub next door was our pub really yeah, yeah, yeah. and you you could go there at any point and find people from the office there and it became a real community and then suddenly you're just all torn away from each other and you go people went to Vancouver people went to Singapore and just scattered worldwide yeah. and a lot of people would still keep in touch but yeah just friendships are just torn up and um, I ended up moving down to England after that um, down to Sussex and a few of us ended up in CA um, which was cool. So you still kind of maintain some yeah, of those yeah, kind of yeah. friendships and all that. But yeah, it was just nuts. And so did you go straight into Alien after, after that? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'd done a couple of different interviews. Um, so at one point I was going to be on DJ Hero 2, I think. Um, I love DJ Hero. Yeah, Absolutely that was a cool. It. Like I loved the first one and me and the concept artists on APB had done a lot of, yeah, the animated concepts and stuff. And so they, they were going to hire all of us together. Um, as a team to go down yeah. and do like cool motion graphics for DJ Hero 2 but then uh, John Stockwell is a great artist um, on APB he's now in the States um, he took a job over there and, uh, and then I went to CA um, so yeah I started working on Alien that was like five years or did something did you say like that you'd watch special edition like every every week is that well they wouldn't the tell me what yeah. the game was oh really yeah at first they wouldn't tell me what it was um that must have been an amazing day when you found out right? yeah it was all like massively under nda like nobody knew about this game there's only about maybe only about 10 or 15 people on the team at that point yeah it was like it hadn't even been greenlit at the point um but they were looking for someone to do ui and 2d art and stuff like that and and uh yeah and i kind of thought i didn't know if they were going to get me to do total war and i wasn't really keen on total wars like it's a successful franchise, yeah. but I'm not big into that kind of thing, especially like historical stuff. And it just wasn't wasn't my direction I wanted to win. But um, but they just said uh, what was it? it was Jude, my art director. Jude said um, he just said I can't tell you what it is, but it's it's a huge Sega. Sega have got the license for it, and it's massive. And I was like, and I was like, but you know, is it an, is it for a kids game or an adult? He goes, no, it's an adult game. It's like an 18 plus game, but Sega have got the license. I was like. Is this like Evil Sonic? <laughs> like, what are you making? And he went to All my Christmases have come at once. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, what is happening? 
and so I did, they had offered the job and, and I was I really wanted to go I loved the area I went down to see it and I kind of thought I'd really so like you got the job it. like but not knowing what necessarily what you're going to be working well, before on before I accepted it I said like I can't accept this without right, okay. because I'm, I'm moving country like yeah. I feel like I've got to know what I'm getting into so I had to sign this big doc, big NDA and document to say I wouldn't talk about it and uh, and then he told me um, he, he kind of he done this kind of reveal where he was like it's in IMDb's top 50 films of all time and I was like Sonic to a film? <laughs> I just had it in my head. We're finally going to make this Citizen finally... Kane of games. <laughs> yeah, Literally. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, and it just went on and on and eventually uh, you know, I was like, what was it, Alien? Went, yeah, it's like a survival horror based on the Alien franchise. And I was like, right, I'm coming. That's it, I'm in. <laughs> and uh, my friend Chris, who's an animator, he'd got a job the same day. He'd been offered a job and, uh, and he'd found out what it was and we just went into a meeting room and just started jumping up and down. So we're like, holy shit. It's like proper dream project material. Absolutely. Um, yeah, just like not just Alien franchise, which we're, you know, because they've been watching it since we were kids and stuff, but um, but Survival Horror, it's like I was yeah. a huge Silent Hill fan and stuff like that and just felt like this is cool. So did you get you know, to play around with, like, did you get have access to all sorts of cool archive stuff? Yeah, we had to, we had the Fox archive, which was like three terabytes worth of stuff. Oh, amazing. And it was just like behind the scenes photos that have never been released and bits just things just like artifacts of stuff um i never got to see any of the real props we had a couple of our guys went to the different prop stores in the fox lot the fox warehouse have got a bunch of stuff so i never got to like touch or feel anything from the film but um we spoke to spoke to a couple of different people who'd worked on the film was it Ivor powell it's like a producer in the film i think he worked on blade runner as well spoke to him um and then yeah, we had this big, massive archive of just cool stuff that no one's seen and probably will never see because it's not really... Yeah. Like, they're just stuff that... But it was great. It was just fascinating seeing a real behind-the-scenes and of a favourite film, you know. And Absolutely. Being immersed in that for, yeah, a good yeah, five years. So just, why, why leave after that then? Because obviously that was a big hit and it was an amazing game. Like, yeah. what prompted you to, like, oh, I'm going to start my own studio now? Well, that's the thing is I didn't... I went to Rockstar after that. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I went to Rockstar for about... I think it lasted about nine, ten months there. Was um, that like computer science all over again? <laughs> all a little maths. bit. It just felt, yeah. I mean, like, I met some really nice people there and the, the team I worked in were lovely. Um, I, I moved into the, the kind of graphic design team who do a lot. Was of, that the one in Edinburgh, yeah? Yeah, it was up at Rockstar North, yeah. Um, and uh, the, what they'd kind of offered me was like the, the theory of the job sounded really cool and I was like, that sounds great. But when I just before I left CA, the last thing I done was I, I was like the game director, I guess, on all the DLC. Okay. So I was I was kind of leading up a small team of designers and programmers. Oh, the DLC that was like the, the true to the movie versions, yeah. Well, we had to mix. We had the, the pre order stuff, which was the stories, which was like the Sigourney Weaver Ripley yeah, yeah, stuff, yeah. and then we had the challenge maps, which are like five packs of, kind okay. of different new levels, which had little bits of story in it, but were also kind of different challenges you could replay and stuff. So I kind of directed that stuff, which was great fun, and that gave me a taste for yeah, yeah, yeah. running a little team and doing doing something cool on its own. And then I took the job at Rockstar because my my wife was pregnant again. We thought we should maybe be around family. Cause, yeah. Um, yeah, it just felt like the right thing to do. And Rockstar is like a huge company. It's like from Rockstar, they kind of phoned me up and said, are you interested in coming? Do you want to come home? And I'm like, okay. Because <laughs> with Rockstar Phone, you can attend to go, yep, okay. Absolutely, of course you um, But yeah, just the reality of it was that it's such a huge company, you know, so much bigger than what, like the team on Alien was maybe a hundred something at its peak, 
but for most of it, it was like 30, 40 of us. Yeah. And it was a nice tight family and a really nice atmosphere. And Rockstar, it's a combination of being the new guy in a team of 500 people. You know, you just, it just felt bizarre. And I just didn't, it felt like it just wasn't the right move at yeah. all. So. And because you, I guess, coming off the back of you being in charge of like smaller projects, you're like, oh, suddenly you're just a yeah. guy in an office kind of thing. Yeah, now, now it was just another kind of cog in a big machine. And, and that's absolutely fine. You know, I think if this stuff didn't work out, that would be, a, you know, I, wouldn't, yeah, yeah. I, would, not, I don't turn my nose up at that kind of job at all. It's just, I'd been given a taste of running a small team and again, I really enjoy this part yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I started speaking to Dave Jones again, asking for some advice. Um, Dave Jones, he like made like lemmings and stuff. Yeah, he was lemmings. Yeah. He was the head of Real Time Worlds. And um, so I met him through, through APB, but yeah, he'd done the original GTA and lemmings yeah, and yeah. a bunch of other stuff back in, back in the day. And I've kind of kept in touch with him ever since, and it was, and he just gave lots of good advice and kind of helped us get started by giving us some kind of contract work for uh, the project he was working oh, that's on. That's amazing. And yeah, and it just opened some doors, and we were able to get kind of keep the fires burning while we while we worked on our own projects. So, um, yeah, so it was kind of so it didn't like, seem as big of a risk then. You've kind of got this kind of buffer of a bit of it was kind of like having a part, like having a retainer, like yeah. having a, your first client before you started. And so knew it was going to last a while, and that lasted maybe a year. And then by that point, we were kind of almost self-sufficient, you know, making some money off the other games we'd released. So it was it was definitely a help. You know, it made a big. We wouldn't have been able to do it without them, but um, but we don't really rely on it now. But yeah, um, but it was great at the time. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like moving from finishing up on Alien, and and the thing is, like on Alien, they moved on to Halo Wars Two, and again, it was just like I'm not really. It's not that I don't like strategy games, it's just not something I yeah, wanted to yeah. work on. It's like, it was a bit of a drier UI experience, you know, it was a bit more function. Yeah, exactly. Form, and I liked, I liked doing more with it. So, yeah, so I just kind of felt like I went over to Seattle with the team and, and met people and I just kind of felt this is not what I want to do next. So how, how was the, like, was it as panic-inducing as I'm imagining it would be? As like, you know, a new dad and you're like, I'm going to start a new company, but I'm going to, you know, bring in my pals and or was it just quite exciting and you know you kind of felt like you had this buffer so it's um, okay no it's pretty scary yeah <laughs> uh, and it still is um yeah it's a pretty daunting thing like we had this buffer which was great and and we wouldn't have done it without that like yeah you know i've I've not been in the position to save lots of money in the bank and be able to spend a couple of years doing what i want or yeah. anything like that it was kind of like if i don't get paid this month then we've got problems so i didn't really have the ability to do that so Dave's kind of offered to do some contract work while it was a bit of a kind of uh, a chain around your feet a little bit in some cases where that always had to come first yeah um which was absolutely fair but you know some points it was just became more difficult to manage and eventually we stopped doing the contract work because of that it was like well you know we've got we need to make some need get some do. momentum going and stuff, yeah, yeah. And so there was a point where we thought well we've saved up a lot of the money um so we can now sustain ourselves for a little while and now we can stop that work and yeah Hundred percent into our own content, but um, yeah, it was terrifying because I like I've say I've got three kids and my uh, Sophie, my youngest, was born just a couple of months before then, and so I like had a new baby and you know was moving back through to Glasgow and everyone's kind of going. Not on top of that, it's like you're leaving Rockstar. It's like people don't leave Rockstar; they get sacked from Rockstar. <laughs> like I you know, I'm leaving, and uh, and it, it was really scary because you're just kind of turning your back on like Rockstar is probably about as safe a job as you can get in terms yeah, of absolutely. Like, company security they're just they're huge right they're, they're not going anywhere so it felt like I was turning my back on that to do something super risky but it wasn't as risky as you know other people going through the yeah. same thing 
because we had that buffer but it was certainly and still is quite scary especially now that we've got you know seven people nice on the team and, and we've got a nice little this. office and we're paying wages every month and it's like it's turned into a real thing it's not just two guys in a that's amazing small room somewhere <laughs> i'm uh I, I just just sort of go back to the games briefly like and, and we'll finish up but like over the past sort of 10 years like during this process of like working on alien and then setting up uh, no code like is that um like what what sort of games have you been playing like have, have you had the chance to play as many games as you used to and has anything kind of stood out for you um i've not played as much as i would like to over the last couple of years just I think doing all this like, yeah I think doing all this stuff is just kind of taking that time out um, and even like during the last kind of year or so of Alien we kind of got a lot less done because we were kind of crunching really hard yeah. on that stuff um, so I didn't really see much um, so th- a lot of the big games passed me by like The Witcher and like I never played The Witcher and again it's one of those things that everyone says how great it is and I'm like I'm, sh- I'm sure it is but I don't have a hundred yeah. hours to I spend never finished on it. it but it is good yeah and I can imagine it's great but I feel like I don't need to play it and it's won enough awards for me to know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's cleaned up every award that we've been at anyway so it's um, yeah so I didn't really get a huge amount of time o- over the last like year or two it's been more about shorter experiences so things like Inside oh, man, where's the so godsend good. because you could do it in a night and you got this, it was like watching a film, you know, you got to sit down um, and enjoy something for a short amount of time and get the start, middle and end. You know, I'm sick of starting games that never finish because they're too long. Yeah. Um, and so that that kind of mentality is a lot of, it kind of is what we're about here in terms of like stories untold is like, we set ourselves a limit. It's like each episode's around an hour long, you know, give or take. Yeah. Because we want people to be able to carve out some time out of their schedule and play it, you know, which is kind of what I need to do. Like Absolutely, you know, like, I, I I can't afford the time that I used to spend. I mean, I say I say this. I still play Overwatch and Hearthstone yeah. most days because, but kind of because like you I can, can play a it. match of Overwatch ten yeah. minutes, a game of Hearthstone five minutes, and that's that's it. Exactly. Yeah, and I do the same with Wipeout at the moment. It's just like I can jump in, I can do a couple of different, yeah. a couple of attempts at lap, and then that's it. And uh, and even though like I'll watch TV and I'll watch I'll, like I still watch a lot of TV while I'm working and stuff. Um, but I watch TV and I watch films, but it's because you can carve out that time. You can yeah. go, right, this film is one hour 45, and I have one hour 45, so I will watch the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with games, it's like I put on Horizon again the other night, and I love the look of Horizon, I love the concept, and I played the first few hours. But it was like it was going to take me like 40 minutes just to get back to where I was meant to be, and <laughs> I was like, I just can't, I can't do it. It's just not, it's not the right format for. Yeah. And I think I think it applies to a lot of people, especially as they get into our age and have have kids and stuff. And you've got this limited time you can spend on things. That short experiences are really good, and uh, and there's definitely something to be said for shorter games having a tighter narrative and not have feeling the the need to stretch it out into twelve yeah. hours. You know, and a lot of these stories I feel just don't work because they try and stretch it out over twelve hours, and just it's not the kind of story you tell. You would do it in two hours in a film. And you, even then, you might say a film with too long because of it. Yeah. And then games just drag it out for the sake of value for money or whatever. So I think there's definitely another format there to to explore, which is kind of what we're we're doing now. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I'm I'm conflicted on on stories and games, but I think that that might be a big part of it. Is that like I I don't go to games for for stories. I go for like experiences. And if stories come out of that, cool. But mm. that's that's what draws me to games but kind of because they're not 
films or books they're like yeah, their own yeah. thing but for this kind of if there is going to be like inside is a perfect example because like without the narrative that's a very boring game yep. like but it's just there's so much atmosphere and so much like I mean, it's not even a clear story necessarily. It's just insane, but just it gives you just enough to be like, "Oh man, uh, you have to see what happens next," even yeah. though you're not quite sure. You're not quite how sure that what works. And yeah, what, what's what going that means, on? But yeah, I mean, I think that game in particular kind of stood out. It's just a great example of that stuff. It was, it was kind of evocative enough, and kind of you know, it, like you say, it didn't really tell you what was happening, yeah. but it inspired your imagination and it kind of got you just got you invested by its presentation and by its style and yeah concept that you just like yeah you just get sucked in and you know that because yeah, it's funny like when people review a game and go oh, i'll give it eight out of ten it's a bit short i'm like yeah it's a bit short i can maybe play this absolutely. one absolutely and i'm like okay so people had said inside you you know it's like it's only two or three hours long and i was like perfect and i sat and played it in one sitting one night and all the kids went to bed and i sat and played it and just absolutely loved that it was like a great night of just being able to experience something from start to finish you know um, so yeah, to kind of yeah to go back to that kind of original question, I've not played a huge amount because a lot of the games that come out are massive. Yeah, you know, a lot of the games people love, like Horizon, is massive, and I'll never see the end of it because Horizon isn't so bad actually. That that's my one. I, I finished Horizon, and I absolutely loved it. And that was, I mean, I'm going to sort of contradict myself. It was only about sort of 30, 40 hours, maybe. Right. Okay. Which isn't. Which yeah, compared to the speaking, yeah, yeah, it's compared, not compared yeah. to like The Witcher or something or. Dragon Age or something. I mean, that's like, I probably spent like sixty hours on Bloodborne, yeah, without realizing it, you know. So yeah, there is that there, um, and I think it's just yeah, it feels like more of a daunting task to yeah. start one of those games. I'm kind of put off like it's like ah, uh, it's you know I know to, and I'm a bit of a completionist as well. I like ticking boxes. Yeah, so no, when that's I, the worst. So when you go games. into a Ubisoft game and it's just like, you know, you you find something in the distance and you pick it up and it says you've collected one out of four thousand flags. And I'm like no. <laughs> Now I have to find them. and <laughs> I think there should be an option to just... I know people say you can ignore them, but you can't. No, like, no, can't. they, 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 they deliberately... There be an option to just turn them off. Like, yeah. I don't want to see them. I don't want to know exactly. that they exist. I think it would be, yeah, I think it would be really interesting if they could put out, yeah, a, a mod or a mode that says, do you want all the extra stuff or do you just want the story? And that way you can make that decision. That would be so much better because I can't yeah. help myself. Like I'm exactly the same. Exactly. Yeah. I, I just feel distracted. like I've got all these, like I've, as if I've not experienced. Yeah. The yeah. Game. You're missing something. I've you're missed something massive. All the backstory is going to get revealed through these little secondary missions, and I'm just like, well, I can't. You know, not everyone has that amount of time, and I feel like you're being shortchanged if you don't do it all. So yeah. instead, you just don't. You end up not doing any of it, which is yeah, it's just endless busy work, and you, you forget what's meant to be happening in the story yeah. and stuff. I mean, I yeah. switched Horizon on the other night. I thought I'll give it another try, and I, I don't know where I was. Couldn't remember how to. Like, I think you can fast travel, and I couldn't remember how. I was like, it's going to take me, like, 40 minutes to walk back to where my mission is supposed to be. So I just switched back off. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to do it. Stuck my face It's a shame, because that is, like, it's a, I mean, I loved a what really I good story. Yeah. And, like, towards the end of that, I definitely did kind of um, just ignore everything and just did the, the story mission, did, yeah. and, and it was it was brilliant. I mean... I did know one of the writers, which is why I'm maybe slightly biased, but it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's it well, I still loved what works. I played. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt like a really nice, best in class kind of version of those. It's kind so of games. good looking. Like I don't think I've ever used yeah. the photo mode as much ever yeah. as in that game. 
the, like the, just cycling through the day and night just getting perfect shots it's, it's amazing like that's a game in, in and of itself exactly you know? yeah yeah it's a real good toy to play with um, okay so I, I think that's I think we've covered all sorts of good stuff cool, um, cool. is there anything that we haven't mentioned that you wanted to bring up or um, uh, not really I mean yeah it's just good to chat about this stuff yeah oh cool. the, the name of the studio I mean this has come up on the show before so I'm gonna no, I'll direct people I'll direct people to that episode where you discuss the name why it was called No Code and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Because that was on okay. uh, the Global Game Jam episode, which is oh yeah, almost okay, yeah, two years right. ago, which is insane. Was it? My God. Yeah. Um, okay. So, but where can people like find your stuff if you want them to find your stuff? Like, yeah. Where, so where stuff can... yeah, we've got websites nocodestudio.com um, where you can find yeah bits about us and find some links to stuff. Um, our We've got two two games that are kind of out just now. Stories Untold, which is on Steam, uh, which is a super experimental, super strange, narrative-driven game. Um, if you like text adventures, you might not like it, turns out. <laughs> <laughs> but if you like weird games that do interesting stuff, then you, you might like it. Um, but it's, it's, it's quite fun. And we've also got, weirdly, like Super Arc Light was our first that we've done, which is like a little mobile arcade shooter. And it, yeah, it's a very, very simple game. It's on iOS and Android, but... Um, yeah, it's quite a Moorish. It's infuriating. Of, it's infuriating, but yeah, it's kind of it's definitely a skill based thing that you do get better at it over time, um, which is I think which is what arcade games should be. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, it's like it shouldn't be easy the first time round. It should be. Uh, is there, like just while, while I've got you here, is there a preferred method method for that? Because I find myself just tapping really fast to try and keep my dude stationary. Oh, keep stable. Uh, yeah, so that, there's a couple of different techniques okay. that people have. Yeah, the the rapid tap keep yourself stable um yeah i think i kind of do a bit more i think well i think i've just got i've played it for so long that yeah. my timing is like impeccable now okay so it's just like single shot kills we were gonna put an achievement in for that stuff but um we ended up not bothering but yeah the idea of just like getting your timing just right so you spend as few shots as possible so your movement's always as fast okay because the whole game is just based based on this idea of a trade-off between speed and shooting so you, you don't, you know, if you want to move faster into the other side of the circle, you can't shoot as much. So you just have to be more accurate when you can. And yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun little game. That's changed Look, I'm going to try that again now yeah. once we finish up. But it's a fun little game. We, we did do a green light for the PC version and never built it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had, like, we had a PC version we used to show. Yeah, no, because I played That was the first time I played it. Was it, yeah. um, Be it the Game Jam or...? I think it was at the game jam because it, and what you had like the one button controller for it. Yeah, we built a, like a, a big box with yeah. a single button in it. Yeah, and so yeah, we do have like a PC build, but never one that was like finished enough to yeah. sell. And uh, and I'm not sure how much Steam really cares for super simple so mobile kind of twitchy shooter things. Like I'm not sure if it was the right fit anyway. But um, but now Greenlight's gone anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, well, thanks. That was really good. Is that cool. was that okay for you? Yeah, yeah it was good. good. Yeah, thank you. Perfect. Let's cool. stop.
wanted more than I'd ever let you show And I swear I'll never lose control I swear I'll never do that to Shoot you down I swear you 